Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Ag Watchers. Uh, this week, you've actually just got the two of us, Andrew Watlaw and myself, Matt Dalgleish. Um, we figured we've had enough uh, guests on for the short term, and we've been quite busy this week. Uh, and Andrew, with our with our launch of our website on the TEM um, TEM website. Evening, evening, Matt. No, it's been a very busy week. Uh, probably the week started off on Saturday. Saturday, didn't it? Mm. That was a. That was a big change, you know. The uh, everyone thinks that you know we're a bunch of analysts just sat at a desk, you know, uh, typing in numbers into models and whatnot. Uh, but we spent pretty much all day, what eight o'clock till six o'clock, uh, pretty much shoveling pig manure. That's right. And, and moving pigs and tattooing pigs, and uh, I still feel tired from it. I was so far up. Uh my gumboot in pig shit that had actually sucked the boot off at one stage there, Andrew. I don't know if you realise that, but um, it was um, yeah, it was a, a nice full day up at the pig farm. But uh, glad to be back in front of the screens and looked at the numbers for a, a pleasant change. Yeah, and it's one of those ones. That, and if anyone's listening who who has a pig farm or a dairy farm, if anyone give me any tips on how to uh, get over the smell of ammonia, because uh, it doesn't seem to affect Matt, but it seems to make me gag at times so i'm still not i'm just too too weak for it so what's been happening matt big big news story uh jbs brooklyn yeah that's right well it was actually brooklyn and also they did more one up in um queensland but that's only shutting for two weeks which could just be a bit of a, a maintenance type scenario they're, they're shutting for um a shorter term but the big news was the victorian brooklyn site um they've come out and announced during the week that they're going to be shutting the site indefinitely, at least while the stage four coronavirus issues are um, causing them a bit of problems and headaches in terms of how they're going to operate. And they've taken the decision that it's just not feasible for them. Um, yeah, so they're, they're basically shut as of now um, indefinitely. So what was your view on that, Matt? Is that because of the COVID or is it in conjunction with their actual margins at the moment? Uh, look, I think the COVID, certainly going from the announcement they made, COVID was featured heavily in terms of the, the regulations that are placed upon them and they just can't see their way clear to operate. Um, it doesn't help that the season is very tough. Uh, anyone that's had a look on the TM website would see the margins uh, for processes on our theoretical model went into negative in February and they've just, it's just been more my traffic further and further into negative as... Um, as the offshore export prices have been slipping on the back of you know, reduced red meat demand, I guess broadly that's impacted global beef prices. And um, while it's hit the meat price, it hasn't really affected locally because we're still in this tight season. Um, the local price, so the input price of cattle going into the abattoirs um, hasn't really come off at all. In fact, um, in the last week, the heavy steer price uh, moved up, the national heavy steer price went up. Uh, and New South Wales and Victoria were two of the states where it went up you know, the most, uh, which is a curious one. Um, but, um, yeah, whether that kind of persists, if, you know, I looked at the spreads during the week as well, just looking at spreads between all the other, all the other categories of cattle to the ecchi. And, um, you know, that was another one where it kind of was demonstrating that things are a little bit out of whack. The ecchi, looking at those spreads, the ecchi, in my view, seems a bit overvalued which is probably understandable given the good season and some people out there wanting to still restock for those younger cattle. 
Um, but yeah, if you look at what's happening overseas, more longer term, and certainly some of the forecasting kind of fair value model I've been working on for heavy steers, that's pointing to some significant headwinds in the next few quarters. Um, we've got an Aussie dollar that's rising and looking like it's not going to stop rising. That's going to put pressure on on um, you know cattle prices in one angle, and then you've got going back to that global picture of um, of reduced demand through reduced um, global growth. Uh, that's also going to kind of weigh on prices. Um, so, how does that model work in basic terms? It looks at the relationship between a whole range of factors or, or, or measurements, so supply and demand um, data that goes into the model and it compares historically what's been the movement of national heavy steer prices um, based on the, the inputs or the influencing factors, uh, key inputs that go into it. So there's about eight inputs that go into the model and it, 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 run, it basically runs an analysis against all those inputs and compares which ones are the most, most um, important factors and put, puts a weighting assigned to those factors and, and then you can basically say, well, if we if we forecast those factors are going and, and some of those factors are ones like, um, you know, uh, global beef prices that are provided by USDA, so forecast for that, or, or slaughter figures from MLA, you know, things like that, um, GDP levels for key trade partners. Um, you can get forecasts for those inputs. And if you put in a most likely scenario, I guess, of what's looking like it's going to happen over the next period of time, um, you can then say, well, if all, all of your forecast inputs are correct or pretty accurate, then it's going to give you a fairly good idea as to where the national heavy steer price will be going over the next you know, period. Um, yeah, so that, that's pointing to um, more headwinds than, than kind of, more chance of a down, down movement than an up movement, basically. The fair value models is showing that where we're sitting now is pretty close to the top of the what you'd expect to be fair value. So... Um, yeah, my, my view is um, the chances are that we're going to see you know, prices easing rather than prices continuing to push higher for, for heavy steer and cattle. Um, yeah, so that's the, the big stuff. I mean, there's more on the TEM website if anyone wants to jump on and have a look at that, thomaseldermarkets.com.au. Um, and look, sheep and lamb, they've actually, like, like I said before, um, all the concern around processes hasn't really impacted cattle much. Um, they've been pretty, pretty resilient, the cattle prices, broadly speaking, but... We have seen sheep and lamb continuing to ease and it's probably the fourth week in a row we've seen easing prices. It does seem to be that uh, they're reducing, the, the level of the falls are reducing momentum, so we might be getting close to a bit of, a, a bit of an area of consolidation. I would, I'm hesitant to call it a bottom just yet because um, we, we haven't hit the spring flush yet and if, um, if there's still processor issues in Victoria come the spring flush, it's going to be a real worry for land producers trying to trying to get lands in to get um, to get processed because uh, there's a hell of a lot that come out of Victoria um, through October, November, and, and even to late later into. Yeah, but that's 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 still a while away. <clears throat> when you when you think about it, the the abattoirs were operating at normal capacity, what a month ago or or less. Uh, well. Um, we- when you say normal capacity, you mean normal for a tight season, which was below average. Yeah, but but coming into October, November, you know, you'd like to think that we'd have a bit more of a control, a bit more of a handle in Victoria on on COVID. Wow! Uh, but again, again, you never know. Well, look, of all the countries in the world that looked like they had a great handle on COVID was New Zealand, and now they've well, they've gone in the last few weeks from one one case, four cases, seven cases, thirteen cases, um, and they've and they've cracked down 
much, much quicker and much, much more um, you know, in a strict fashion. Um, you know, whereas um, Victoria, you know, obviously we've got these stage four restrictions, but they were, they were kind of a bit slower than New Zealand in terms of their reactions. And you've got New South Wales still cases popping up here and there. And, you know, um, I'm not convinced that we are going to get on top of it, um, you know, and then stay on top of it. So we'll just have to see how it goes. But it's a definitely, it's a big concern, this, this whole um, spring flush for, for, the, for the land producers. It's, um, it's a worry. Yeah, but there's not much we can really do about it at this point, is there? Just wait and see. No. What about um, what about you, Andrew? So you had a big you had a big night last night with the WASDA figures coming out. Was there anything in there that was of note? Big, big, big exciting night out in the town with the lads. Look at the old days. No, I got up early this morning. You know, woke up the missus at six o'clock and said, "Oh, Yasmin, have you seen these numbers?" And she said, "Shut up and go back to sleep." exciting life in our household during the, the COVID restrictions. Now, I think the, the Wasted report is, it always gets criticised. And I think it's probably a little bit cheeky to criticise it because it probably is still one of the best reports in terms of getting a, an overall handle, an overall trend. Yeah, it might not be exactly where everyone's forecasts are. It takes probably, in my view, it takes a month to two months for it to actually catch up. So good example of that is is Russia. They increased the Russian wheat forecast by a million and a half tons uh, to seven, eight million tons. And that was probably, look, everyone was concerned or a lot of people were concerned in July that the crop was going to be uh, falling over. Uh, apart from a couple, of, a couple of analysts that were still thinking that it was going to be a big one. But the forecasts now are, you know, in the 80 to potentially 81 million ton forecasts. You can't expect the USDA to keep up with private forecasters. You know, this this report, the USDA one, is basically assembled in July, and it's as of probably the first of August, I believe it is. So they're never going to be up to speed. And the same with Australia, we're we're at 26 million tons, and they've held that from last month. Look. We've got all the potential there to have a you know 27, 28, 29 million ton crop if we have you know nice beneficial rainfall from here on in. Likewise, it could fall back to 25, 24. I think below 24 is probably not all that likely uh, unless we have no rain from here on in. But the forecasts are looking pretty good. Uh, the big things in the Worcester really was that. Again, we've got, you, you, could, you could write this for every single uh, Worcester report for about the last four years, but we've got record ending stocks. And uh, I think the, the crucial thing on that is that the reality is that the 51% of those global stocks are actually held in, in China. And actually somebody made a comment on Twitter saying, well, what does that mean? Are you, uh, is there a heading message there? Well, the reason why I point towards, and I think it's important to highlight the majority of stocks held in China is because stocks aren't stocks. Just because there's stocks on the planet doesn't mean they're available. And we know that China stockpiles wheat. It doesn't export, you know, maybe a couple of million tons and not really in any vast quantity for a long time. So that 50% of world stocks is not available to Indonesia, Egypt or whoever else it may be 
not impossible. They could decide to become a big exporter. I don't see it happening. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll take a bet on that with anyone that takes it, but I don't imagine we'd see them exporting more than... Go on, Matt. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that... Um, so what you're basically saying there, the when you're looking at those global stockpile or the global stocks uh, that are there, you, you've got to take into account those stocks that are never going to have the chance to see the light of day in terms of coming back out of the country like China. Yeah, and, then, and then that means that if there's a fair proportion that are held and effectively locked away, you only need a, year, a season or two of, of um, some kind of a problem to the harvest in the north or whatever, and then all of a sudden you do get a bit of a shortage. Is that even with those high stocks, so what are you saying? Well, if you look at it from a holistic point of view, look at the whole global picture, okay, yep, massive stocks, that means things are pretty secure. But if it's not available, then you've got to take it into account and actually remove those Chinese stocks. And it's probably worthwhile to actually write an article on this, I think. Because if you start to remove 50% of the global stocks and, and you argue that they're probably not available, then things get tighter and all you know, without using the old cliche of a knife edge, as soon as we have Russia having a, like a 2010 type drought or <clears throat> a combination of droughts across Europe, Russia, or, or any of the major Northern Hemisphere producers, then we'll see the real fireworks and we'll, we'll see big, big movements in price. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, the big, big one again is, is, is corn. Like I've wrote, I wrote an article a few a few months ago uh, on my LinkedIn on, on in a personal capacity about uh, can cars drive the wheat price and I amended it and updated it for, for the TEM website. And that's really to explain that uh, corn and wheat have a very strong, strong, strong relationship and corn has a strong relationship with ethanol. And uh, the reason I'm talking about that is that we've got, you know, record yields of, of corn in the US. Uh, we're likely to have uh, the strongest end stocks of, of corn in the US, even though they're getting some massive sales into China in recent weeks. They're going to have some terrifically high end stocks come the end of the season. And, uh, you know, it's just going to keep pressure on on that overall sort of uh, grain complex. That's something I've been talking about for, for quite some time. Not, it's not something new. But but one of the things that, you know, we're talking probably a little bit too much about the website, but it's easy for us to talk about that because we've written stuff on it. And one of the things I've enjoyed doing in recent times is just looking up little bits of almost trivia type stuff. You know, what we call them, market morsels, you know, bits of information, probably not enough to make a full-blown analysis article from unless you were adding a lot of uh, mealy-mouthed sort of commentary into it. Uh, but one of the ones that I always find really interesting, and uh, there's been a lot of talk about it, and, and that is India. And, and you know, we've done presentations in the past, Matt. Uh, remember we did a presentation last year, and we are talking about uh, how we think that, w- you know, we need to diversify a little bit away from just being focused on China, and we have to put some energy towards... India, growing population, growing wealth, blah, blah, blah. The same things we've heard about China for you know, sort of motherhood statements over the last sort of 20 years are relating towards uh, towards India as well. 
and as you know, Ajax estimating we might get 500,000 tons of, of barley into into India, uh, basically because of some of the the cytosanitary uh, changes. Uh, but it's but India is really interesting. You know, massive country, and, and you sort of think of it as being well, if you've got that kind of population, you're going to be an ex an importer. You're going to need to import as much agricultural produce as possible. Uh, but it's interesting when you actually look back on, and it's and it's a case for wheat and it's a case for barley. You look back in time, back to 2000, and you have this sort of pattern of occasional years when the monsoons are good, you're going to get exports. Monsoons are bad, you're going to get imports. And it's interesting because it's not, it can be a major importer in the same way. Like we could have, you know, imports of 7 million tons of wheat into India. Then a couple of years later, you can have 7 million tons of exports a week. And that's where it's quite interesting. It's not like the likes of Indonesia or Egypt, which are just, you know. One-way traffic. Yeah, it's just, just, just imports only. So I thought that was interesting. And I think that's that's a thing that you definitely, as, as an analyst, you've always got to look at both sides of the ledger when you're, uh, when you're looking at numbers to make sure that you're not just, uh, you know, getting a bit of confirmation bias in there. I was getting a bit worried, Andrew, when you were starting to tell us about what what analysis you're planning to do into the next you know, few weeks or the next few days, because uh, I was worried there might be a few little listening ears uh, into you know what you're planning, and I'd hate to give a, a jump on any of our um, competitors as to what we were thinking next, mate. We like to keep it a bit you know a bit vague and a bit um, uncertain about where we're going to go next. Um, and I was just I thought you might have just been divulging too much. Ah, yeah. There's nothing new under the sun, I guess, is the expression. So, yeah. so. One, of the, one of the things, too, when you were talking about the old um, WASDA, how they're getting canned occasionally for, um, you know, well, a lot for their um, for having a go at trying to put these predictions or these estimates out there. But at least, at least they've put their name on it, put their head above the path bits. They're not bloody sitting behind an anonymous account. It's one of, well, it's one of those things, right, that uh, whenever people make those kind of predictions, I always think of that. Do you, do you remember that American baseball player he was originally, Yogi Berra, and then he became yeah. a commentator. He had a, He's famous for a lot of these funny things that get said, you know, and they, they're actually termed the now yogiisms of things that he said in the past as a commentator, as a coach. And uh, one of his ones that always springs to mind whenever st- someone starts talking predictions and how hard it is is that, uh, I think you said it's in the quote was it's hard to it's hard to um, make predictions, especially when they're about the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. That's, mm. that's probably the only one I know of his. But I guess the thing is, it's you know, what's 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 the expression? And and I'll use it many a times. Even a broken clock is right twice a day, and and that's just as valid. So. Yeah, but you know, I think it's, we're, we're coming into an interesting time in in in, in grains. I think. Uh, look, I, I, I'm positive for, for this coming year. You know, I look at the uh, I look at the prices that that are on offer. Uh, look, we've had a massive slide down from that mid-March rally in in futures, uh, but you know, for the most part, 
all going well, people are going to get the volume to make up for that price. But the reality is people did have an opportunity to sell some grain on that early rally. And that was offering prices that we hadn't seen for a long time. Um, and then we've had our, we've probably had our July rally, uh, which, which look, if you look back in time, you know, it's one of the best times of year to, 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 to sell some grain is, is during that July Northern hemisphere period of time, you know, there are opportunities in volatility. Mm, that's it. It's been volatile times. I just one of the things, one of the commodities we're going to cover down the track, I think, but one that we don't look at as close as what we probably like to with all the other stuff we've been doing. But um, we saw the um, big announcement today. Did you catch it in the wool markets so in the southern wool auction market there, Andrew? They've, um, they've decided with all the COVID issues in Victoria that they're not going to be able to do the the you know, face-to-face type auction at the at the wool selling centre there in. Um, in uh, that's in there. So um, it's just been announced today, actually. So now um, they're going to scramble around to try and find it. Well, that, that, that's all those wool brokers' social life's gone then. Uh, as we know, Andrew, they, they're, they're not very social creatures. Those wool brokers, they hate they hate to get out and have a drink. Um, yeah. Well, I think that we actually we have got a wool broker coming on soon. Yeah, no, that would be in, good. And we we are we are to. Yeah, we will cover off on that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, we've been busy with other commodities and getting the website set up, but um, we've got plans for much more, uh, much more commodities to discuss. But I just thought if anyone didn't catch that, it was pretty big news today, and they're not quite sure yet how they're going to um, how they're going to operate next week. I think they're talking about maybe doing it online and potentially having uh, the northern Look, market. And this is the thing, Matt, as well. If this was to have happened in, you know, the the good old golden days of the the seventies. Then, well, the 80s or whenever, you know, we wouldn't have been able to adapt as quickly. We didn't have online. The sales would just be off and that would be it. So at least we got less potential. And, and the technology is there to do these online auctions. Yeah, maybe it'll be interesting to see how, how it plays out because, um, I mean, they can't divert all the wool to Sydney. Sydney's not got enough staff to handle the, the physical wool to do it there you know, as a whole thing. So they've got to have to do another solution and, uh, they're probably they're probably furiously figuring out how they're going to make it work because um, it could be a number of weeks. Um, and, and the wool market, as as those that follow the wool market have known, it's been a bit of a downward spiral. Um, well, this- we, we we did call that early on in the year. Some people were saying it's just the flu, and I think we said that. I don't know if we did a presentation to I think Heron Todd White. It was Heron Todd White to AARN. We both. Um, yeah, I think we uh, we were working with a, a different enterprise at that point, but I think we had said that, uh, that the of all the commodities, we thought wool was that most at risk, followed, I think, by Wagyu and lobster. <laughs> yeah. so, um, we'll just say you have to say... Like, 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 like I say, Matt, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Even a blind chicken sometimes finds some corn, mate. Yeah. So, but, but, but with that wool, though, like the market is obviously, you know, came down quite a bit. Uh, and the wool, wool industry seems to be in a lot of change at the moment. There's a lot of people moving from company to company, you know, a lot of wool brokers, you know, changing their shirts and whatnot. Uh, but the reality is on that online space, you know, if you look back two or three years ago, there was a lot of concern because there was too many online platforms. You know, we had Auctions Plus, we had... There's another one. What was that? Wool Q. Yeah. 
And there's another one as well. Yep. I can't remember what it's called though. Anyway, but you, you got you got three different options to sell your wool. Uh, you can even sell it on uh, Alibaba. Just that one one last comment I'd like to make on wool. Actually, I was having a bit of a, a discussion on direct message to a a, um, a very respected and uh, and smart operator out in the Western Districts that does a bit of cattle and a bit of sheep and is in the wool space. It's, I think you know what I'm talking about. It's a family enterprise, and there's a young fellow in particular that's doing his um currently doing his, uh, uh, what's that thing they do with it? Nuffield. Nuffield, yeah, yep. Uh, to try and make, make Merinos great again. And um, we have a chat about the, the woes of the wool market. And, you know, one of the things he's trying to do is encourage people back into Merinos. Um, and now this is obviously not helping that whole scenario, but he, he made the point, um, you know, it wasn't that long ago when wool, wool prices were above uh, 20 bucks a kilo um, clean. and and um, those responsible for the wool space were saying um, how it was a lot of they're doing and um, taking credit for the rally and saying, <laughs> I mean, the comment was that it can only go up, it can't go down. And I reckon from about a month in from that, all of a sudden has been one-way traffic back down again. And um, markets, no, markets never go only one direction. But no, nowhere to be found to take responsibility for the uh, movement down. But very, and what is it? Um, success has got many fathers, but failures an orphan. <laughs> I think it's rising prices and falling prices. Um, I don't want to take credit for this one. We'll probably probably leave it there then, Matt. We've probably said enough about. We've probably probably, probably hit enough topics. We've probably annoyed enough people already now. Uh, we'll probably get some more uh, calls telling us off. Uh, but we have got some interesting guests in the next couple of weeks. Some uh, some more internationals, uh, you know, and uh, some uh, different industries as well, which will be good. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening again, people. And uh, hope you enjoyed it. And if you've got any ideas for what you want us to cover, yeah, you know where to reach us, Twitter or, or or an email, and you can. It's not that hard to find us. Sounds good. See you when you've got nothing on, mate. Ciao for now. Yeah.